You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Prepare for glory. Everyone up, you got your popcorn ready. You got your popcorn ready. I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone. Touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly. Over the tackle of the 40-yard line. Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play? I can. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Roundtable Podcast brought to you guys by the Pulse Podcasting Network and me, your host, Matt Bruning. You can follow me on Twitter at SportsFanaticMB. Today, we are almost done wrapping up our divisional breakdown series. We've got the AFC East today. We've got special guest coming on from the Bills Guys Podcast. You can find them at the Bills Guys on Twitter as well. And, of course, Dennis Bennett at Culture underscore Coach will be joining me as well. But, as always, these episodes are brought to you guys by have you been searching for the best ticket deals around? Well, look no further. With TixFlix, the price you see is the price you pay. And TixFlix just happens to have over $6 billion in ticket inventory just waiting for you. They absolutely mean it when they say every ticket, every venue, everywhere. And you can save even more with promo code PULSE in all caps to save you 5% off your total purchase. Just go to TixFlix.com and click the search bar. Search events based on your geographic location, pick the show you want, and bam, it's showtime. Sporting events, Broadway shows, concerts, and more with TickFlix.com. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the email newsletter so you can stay up to date on the latest news and savings with TickFlix. That's TickFlix.com. T-I-X-D-L-I-T-Z.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. Make sure when you guys check out the website to get any kind of tickets that you want, whether it's for concerts, sporting events, you want to go somewhere like Comic-Con, use our promo code PULSE, that is capital P-U-L-S-E, capital PULSE, to get 5% off all of your tickets. Guys, it's a really great site. I hope you guys have find some time to check it out today uh, to get your guys' MLBs about to start up an NBA wrapping up right now. Get your guys' tickets cheap on us. Now let's bring in Dennis and Steve to talk about the AFC East. And as always, and as always, we have Mr. Dennis Bennett with us again today to talk about the AFC East. What's going on, Dennis? How's your weekend, and how was your week so far? I have had a pretty good week. Been busy at work, trying to gear up for a little spring break in the Smoky Mountains with the kiddos. So, oh, nice. Looking Very forward nice. to that. Sounds like that could that should be a lot of fun. And as as we have been doing lately here, we have a special guest with us, Mr. Steve Mathis from the Bills Guys Podcast, one of the other great podcasts on the Pulse Podcasting Network. Steve, what is going on? 
Oh, uh, not too much, man. I, uh, I'm living on the West Coast, so it's uh, recording a little early. I had to get up a little extra early this morning, but um, I've heard you guys show before, and it's definitely worth it. And I'm honored to be a, a guest here. Yeah, man, we're we're great. Thanks, to, we're dude. yeah, we're thrilled to have you on. Uh, we've listened to your podcast as well, so I, uh, Dennis reached out to you guys to get you on, see if you guys could talk about the the AFC East with us. Uh, do you mind telling our audience a little bit about our podcast? Do you have uh, since this is mostly a fantasy based? Do you have any? Uh, are you playing any fantasy leagues? How long have you been playing fantasy? I'm in. I. I I try to limit my fantasy. I don't like to have, like, some people have, like, five, six, seven teams a year. I'm, I'm not about that life. I can't do it. Uh, it's just too stressful for me. I try to keep it to two teams per year. I have a, a family league and a work league. So, you know, 50-ish dollar, you know, low, low-risk uh, leagues. But I definitely follow fantasy and, and watch a lot of the fantasy, show, fantasy shows and all that stuff. So. Hey. I feel you. I, I have a strict four-league limit. Just ask any of my nine commissioners. <laughs> yeah, hey, man, I hear you. I wish uh, – I, I can tell you that my wife wishes I only played in a couple leagues. I'm currently at 16 now, I think, and I'm trying to limit those, but it's a it's an addiction for me. It's one of those things that I just keep telling myself every year I'm not going to add another one, and then someone comes to me like, hey, man, we kind of want to put this league in. I'm like, I'm in, and then I'm just it, it just keeps getting worse. I can't I can't stop myself for some reason. My my biggest issue is it's like I'll have one team and I'll have, you know, a couple of players on it. And then in another league, I'll be going against those players. So it's you have like a decision to make, like a Sophie's choice. Do I like draft the same guys in all my league? And if they stink, do I have a bad year all around or do I try to mix it up? And then it's sort of a wash at the end with your money because some teams are good and some teams are bad. It's just uh, I don't know. It's it's too it gets a little too convoluted for me. I got you. <laughs> yeah, I, I try to, uh, in all honesty on that, I try to keep a, a, the, around the same core of guys, and then I just draft a bunch of different people. And the way I look at it, uh, I've got a couple leagues, like three or four of them, that are my main, main leagues that I focus on probably like as close as you focus on your couple. That way, if yeah. those win, I know I'm happy, and the rest of them just kind of for fun. A lot of them aren't that big of buy-ins and everything, but my big money buy-in ones are the ones I'm – I am focused in on, like laser focused on. I check them every day and all this stuff. The other ones I'll go, you know, a couple times a week. So it makes it a little bit easier because I don't care as much about most of them. And so I'm really only focusing in on four of them. But, yeah, I understand what you mean. It is it is a lot more fun when you only have a couple leagues you can focus on. And it makes it a lot more easier to make moves and everything. Yeah, definitely. All right, so as I, I talked about earlier, we brought you on as we want to talk about the AFC East. We're continuing our division breakdowns. Just one more division left to break down after this. And the AFC East, as everybody saw last year, the New England Patriots did it again. They, they've won this the division for God knows how many years now at this point. I, I, I gave up keeping track. I feel like Tom Brady's going to be winning the AFC East for possibly the next 50 years. He's, he's not going to retire. Even when he does retire or die, his ghost is going to come back and start winning this division because it just doesn't seem like it, Tom Brady's ever going to go away. We saw the uh, Miami Dolphins uh, played actually pretty good at the beginning of this year with Ryan Tannehill, then went back and struggled, re- regressed back to the means, and just did not do much of anything. We saw, really interestingly for me, the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets get their franchise quarterbacks in the draft last year, and I thought at times played really well, and then also kind of struggled, and, and you you get you got exactly what you thought you'd get out of rookie quarterbacks, but I'm interested to see what those two teams do moving forward, but as always, we start with the team that won the division in the New England Patriots. 
the big question for the New England Patriots I have for you guys, and it's kind of the one I think everybody's talking about, is how much longer can Tom Brady play good enough uh, to overcome the less than elite roster that the Patriots have? Is it this year? Is it next year? I know he keeps talking about wanting to play two or three more years. Do you guys think this is finally the year Tom Brady falls off a cliff? Or I shouldn't even say fall off a cliff, but just starts to degress even more than I think he kind of did last year. Uh, we'll start with you, Steve, and then we'll go to Dennis. It feels like every year I say, like, you know, he lost this receiver. He lost this running back. He lost this offensive lineman. Like, the Patriots are going to digress. Oh, the offense is good, but the defense is bad. So there's no way Tom Brady's going to be able to keep up. But I feel like if I spent the next two or three minutes talking and didn't name a player name or, like, say a date, you could just save the audio clip and record it next year, and everything I say would be just as, as good next year. Because uh, every single year, no matter how much people are like, oh, the run's finally over, Tom Brady or Bill Belichick, they they find a way to to win games. They Early in the year, they started as a spread offense, and then you see them in the playoffs all 12 personnel and, and running the ball down people's throats with, with James Devlin. So, I mean, you so, kind of saw some, some, some chinks in the armor in the Super Bowl because they didn't really put up very many points, but they didn't have to because their defense played elite. But I, deep down as a Bills fan and seeing the cap trouble the Patriots are in and seeing the moves that they've made, you know, I'm gonna talk, we're probably going to talk about this later, talk about the draft later. I think they're going to have a big draft day, mm-hmm. but – they haven't really done anything in free agency and they've, they've lost a lot of talent and yeah, they have some guys to fill in, but how long can they keep doing it with Philip Dorsett and then Chris Hogan and Julian Edelman and an aging Rob Gronkowski? Like how much longer can they keep doing it? I, I, I like to think that maybe next year tops with the bills and the jets still developing a quarterback. It might be one more year of this, but I almost feel like they luck out because of the division they're in sometimes. Uh, I agree with you 100% on that. Well, I think the division is starting to come around, and it's going to put some more pressure on them. But one thing that the Patriots have shown is that they can adapt to adapt their team to what's going on around them. So as the division gets better, uh, I think you that's where you started to see the shift to the defense to kind of make up for some of the things that maybe Brady can't do anymore or that they don't have. You know, they don't have that big explosive down-the-field threat this year. Maybe I, I've heard some talk that maybe Gordon actually makes it back this year. I, yes, I, I would that. be surprised <clears throat> Excuse me, if he ever plays another down. You know, I think they have to address that, and they've got the draft picks to do that. Given their cap situation, they are going to have to go young, and they are going to have to hit on some of the players that they've been developing you know, is Jacob Hollister going to step up and be that second tight end or that heir apparent to Gronk, or are they going to go in a different direction with another rookie? Will they bring in more uh, offensive linemen? Because they have, it seems like they're continually having to replenish the line, and Dante Skarnakia has been able to get, you know, these career years out of some of this marginal talent. So as they continue to work through that, what will they adapt to? You know, how are they going to adapt to Allen being a great runner with a big arm, even if he, you know, is only moderately accurate? He's got guys now. They, the Bills put some guys around him that are going to be able to get down the field. And 
if he can get out of the pocket and chuck it down the field, those guys are going to go get it. So what are they going to? What are the Patriots going to do to their uh, in their defensive backfield to be able to accommodate that? And then Darnold is on the rise. You know, Miami's a hot mess, but you know it's going to be interesting to watch. How do the Patriots continue to adapt? Because they're going to have to adapt in a different direction, I think, than they have been. Yeah, for me, uh, it's going to be much of the same thing both you guys just touched on. I am interested to see what they do this year with the draft picks, which we will touch on here in just a minute. Um, But the one thing I think we can all agree on is that they do a very good job of that. Bill Belichick has been a ma- done masterfully in the past few years in drafting and not even the past few years almost the past decade in getting younger players that fit his system uh that maybe not even maybe the best in the draft you see like you know for instance last year they took sony michelle a lot of people thought that was a reach but sony michelle fit their system and look what he did last year he grabs players that fit well in his system that he knows he can coach up and and gets them to play the way that he wants them to play and i think that's why that they have been so successful um they did have a couple coaching changes this year um you you guys can touch on any of them you want. For me, none of them are that big a deal, but Jack Easterby out as the character coach. Joe Judge is to help on defense, and Greg Schiano left Ohio State to join uh, Bill Belichick and coach's defense. They have a very long uh friendship relationship uh, I believe he's coached defense for them before. Uh, I don't think any of those are going to be that big of a deal because I think Brian, uh, I was going to call him Brian Billick for some reason, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Bill Belichick uh, does so much on the defensive side of things that them losing Brian Flores to the Dolphins and Greg Schiano coming in, I don't think it's going to change much for them defensively, but if you guys, uh, do you have anything you want to add to the coaching changes that the Patriots have made this offseason? I really think that this is the year that the losses might start to add up on the coaching staff for the Patriots. I really do because, I mean, from – Everything I've heard, Brian Flores is not your typical Bill Belichick disciple. He's a little bit more of a, um, I don't, I, I hate to say like culture guy, but a more personable guy, a more rah-rah guy. So, you know, Joe Judge is really the only one on that coaching staff now with that sort of demeanor. Um, Jack Easterby gets a lot of credit for their, their Super Bowl runs being like a, like a character coach. I'm, I'm not too familiar with New England, so I'm not sure what he did. They just lost so much depth to their coaching staff because usually when Bill Belichick, like a Brian Flores leaves, you'll have a guy like Josh Boyer, who was their DB's coach step in and, and just do, do what, you know, do what the New England Patriots do. But Josh Boyer's gone. You know, um, you see the special teams coach, Joe judge helping out on offense at the combine. Usually that's a role that quarterbacks coach like Chad O'Shea would step into, but now he's the offensive coordinator in Miami. They just lost so much depth to their coaching staff. And I'm just not sure if Bill Belichick can spread himself that thin because I, I don't know what it is about the Patriots. They like to keep their coaching staff a secret. I, I, I find it kind of pretentious, but Greg Schiano hasn't even officially been announced as a Patriots coach yet. Any of their new additions haven't actually been announced. So a lot of this is even sort of just speculation. Um, but I really do think that he might be wearing himself thin unless they announced some coaching staff changes that, that we haven't heard about. So now we talk, we're going to talk about the free agents that they've, they've lost and gained. Uh, as it seems every year at times, New England is a revolving door when it comes to free agents. They let their guys go that are older or want to get paid, and they bring in a little, uh, younger guys. Uh, so they lost, obviously, Trey Flowers, Trent Brown, Malcolm Brown, Eric Rowe, Cordero Patterson, uh, 
Ladarian Waddle, I believe is how you said it. I'm not even sure. And then obviously they let Chris Hogan go, and they have not yet sound, uh, re-signed Steven Goskowski, though I would imagine that ends up happening. Uh, they did re-sign Jason McCourty, John Simon, Philip Dorsett, and Ryan Allen. Uh, they also signed Michael Bennett, Bruce Ellington, who I thought was a very underrated uh, signing, Maurice Harris, Brandon Bolden, and Matt Lacoste. Any of those guys really do anything for you guys on the free agency side signing on the uh, like I said on the losing any of those guys to me is not that big of a deal they they replaced Flowers with Bennett on the trade which I thought was a great move and then they replaced Brown with Win uh, do you guys think any of those uh, people they haven't signed or have signed is a big deal for you guys uh, I mean the, the Patriots just keep doing what the Patriots do I think it might be a little bit different this year I mean they had a lot of losses and their roster is starting to get a little thin so I think that the Patriots might have wanted this offseason to step out of their their shell and spend a little bit but I mean and they can't because they're so cash strapped but I mean Trey Flowers replaced by Michael Bennett Trent Brown leaves Isaiah Wynn who they drafted to play left tackle who tore his ACL now replaces him and guess what next year the New England Patriots will be collecting two more third round compensatory picks because of all the money um, that's going out and the little money that's coming in um, they just restructured Stefan Gilmore to get probably my guess is to get Steven Goskowski back in terms of fantasy, maybe Bruce Ellington might be a guy that you look to, to maybe step up. I've always liked Bruce Ellington. Maurice Harris seems like a special teamer. Brandon Bolden's a special teamer. Um, you know, Matt Lacoste is an athlete, but I mean, again, it's all like very, very far speculation. You really can't with any of these guys make a determination about like their fantasy value until you start to see preseason games and depth charts. Yeah, well, with 12 draft picks, they're certainly going to be uh, replenishing. They have six of the top 101 draft picks, so they have some ability to move around. I, I don't expect them to make 12 picks. So they're going to identify who are their guys in the draft, and they're going to move and take those guys where they feel is appropriate value. So with that number of picks... I feel like they're going to be able to, they have in their head, they've, they've identified or are in the process of our, of identifying six to eight people that they want to draft that they think are going to make their team and be able to contribute in a specific role or a specific manner. You know, one thing the Patriots do is they're not afraid to bring somebody in to play a specific narrow you know, this is what we're going to have you do this year, and that's it. You know, we they they kind of look at it and say we don't we don't really care if when we put you on the field, the other team looks up and goes, oh, they're going to do this because we think we're going to be able to do it better than they'll be able to defend it, and so they'll find those people, and, and that's that's how they've stayed competitive for the last twenty years and been able to achieve the things they have. Yeah, it's hard to, when you don't have any cap space, it's hard to be real active in the free agent market. And so they're, I, I, I like that, well, they're going to restructure Gilmore because they're going to bring, they need the money for Guskowski. That's how they look at it. They're, they're very deliberate in, well, we need money here for this player, and so let's make this happen. It isn't like, well, we just need to clear a bunch of stuff off the books. I don't think you're going to see that until the Belichick era is over. And when that happens, then you're going to see this whole, this sort of mass house cleaning. Who knows when that Belichick 
Brady era is going to come to an end and that happens. Until then, they're just going to continue to be some of the best cap managers and drafters and be able to identify what free agents work for us. Mm-hmm. Let's not spend. Let's get the ones we need. Bring them in. Uh, you know, they don't bring in people that have to go through a long learning curve with what they do. Or if they do, they, they, you know, I think some of the knock on Cordero Patterson has been, well, he, he can only do specific things and he can't, he doesn't, he's not a good route runner and he doesn't seem to be able to learn how to do that. So the Patriots bring him in and say, hey, we're going to have you do only this. And it, and it works. Bringing back the people they did, you know, I don't think Matt Lacoste is coming in to be the heir apparent to Rob Gronkowski. Matt Lacoste is coming in to uh, be the third tight end, and he's replacing Dwayne Allen. He's not replacing mm-hmm. Gronk. You know, so they're they're identifying their people. I wasn't big on the Bruce Ellington signing. I don't think you know, you got Edelman, Ellington, Braxton Berrios. You know, these are all the same guy, and Edel, Edelman is the best of them. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that didn't move the needle for me at all. Well, I'm with you, uh, Steve, on, on the Ellington signing, as I touched on. I actually think he's going to be very good. Um, he, he's looked really good at times. Injuries have obviously kind of slowed him down fantasy-wise. Uh, looked good, obviously, on the Texans roster at times. I believe it was two years ago when we saw, obviously, Will Fuller, who tends to get hurt a lot as well, went out, and he stepped up and really played well uh, right on the opposite there of DeAndre Hopkins with Houston for a little bit. Uh, I always looked uh, decent in San Francisco, though never really, like, broke out there. But, again, in Houston, his best year, you know, just 330 yards. uh, Did play in 11 games, but really kind of broke out there at the end of that season. He's someone that I could see coming into this New England Patriots system and possibly being someone uh, that they go to as a deep threat if he can stay healthy. Um, you know, obviously it'll be him and Philip Dorsett kind of competing for those outside jobs, as, as Dennis just touched on. Uh, Julian Edelman's cemented in the slot. There's nobody that's going to be taking his spot anytime soon. Uh, so Bruce Ellington, maybe in a deep league, if you guys are looking for a flyer, he's someone I would take as, as one of my last picks just to see if possibly he turns into something because you never know. Uh, but I do want to touch on what Dennis said earlier. For those of you who haven't been following the Josh Gordon news, uh, I am – uh, a big fan of Josh Gordon, mostly from what he did in, in the Cleveland Browns days. Uh, paid very close attention to him. There is a lot of talk, actually, that he will be able to come back and play next season. Uh, the NFL has already commented on the fact that if he stays in his rehab program that he is in now, he's going to have to apply, apply for reinstatement. Um, and they didn't necessarily shoot it down as that they have in the past. So there is a lot of hope from the Patriots' side. Uh, that if he does continue with this, he'll be able to apply, I believe they said, by June or July to get reinstated. And if they do, he will be available for Patriots uh, camp. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, that it, it is still kind of a long shot as we've seen his history with drug abuse and everything. I've uh, stated many times I'm... I know Dennis, you're with me on this. Uh, we we've both talked about it. You know, we just want the best for him, and you know, that's not anything have to do with football. We want him to have a good life as a person. So, but if he's able to get back on the football field and and keep himself clean and continue doing what he was doing for most of last year, I think he'd be a very interesting person to watch on the Patriots roster as well. 
Uh, as you guys have both so eloquently touched on, they have no cap room whatsoever. They've got about $8 million left in the cap space. So as you guys are also both touching on, dr- the draft is where this is going to have to come from for the Patriots to kind of reload and make another run at it. It's what they do every single year. Um, they have the two seconds, two thirds, or I'm sorry, three thirds, and two comp picks from the Detroit Lions. Uh, Matt Patricia trying to make uh, the... Uh, Patriots NFC over there, at least trying to with all the players that he keeps bringing over from the Patriots. Just their biggest needs, wide receiver, offensive line, and then as uh, Steve, I know you've touched on quite a few times, their defensive depth is what they really need to attack. Do you guys think that they're, I know Dennis, you've kind of touched on them not using all their picks. Do you guys think they're going to go heavy defense in this? Do you think this is the year they finally grab a quarterback to possibly be the heir for Tom Brady with it, with him having to come to an end here eventually. I, When I look at the Patriots, to me, they scream like a team. And, you know, I don't follow the Patriots insiders, so I'm not in, in tuned with whose pro days they're attending and, and all this stuff. But to me, this team and the picks they have and where they're having them, there's a lot of value in the late first round, second round, and third round at wide receiver and tight end. And to me, there's a screaming need for the New England Patriots to make additions and make splashy moves at those positions. And when they get when you get to 32, there's going to be tight ends, possibly TJ Hawkinson, probably not, but a Noah Font and an Irv Smith or a Jay Sternberger on the board, all bigger guys who will be great targets for Tom Brady. If they like Hawkinson, they can possibly try to move up. Wide receivers like Calvin Harmon, Debo Samuel, uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. There are receivers out there that do different things than Julian Edelman does that might be of interest to the New England Patriots. Um, so to me, if, if, if I'm the GM of that team, but probably not because Bill Belichick doesn't think the way that, that the, you know, the, the casual observer thinks, to me they, it screams they should go wide receiver. And I, I think the Patriots are going to be the, the headline story of draft day minus the Arizona Cardinals because they have so much ammo in the top three rounds. And and like Dennis said, they're going to make some trades. So whether there's, there's a quarterback that might be available in Arizona to be the heir apparent to, to Tom Brady. Um, they've been talking at the Senior Bowl to the Buffalo Bulls quarterback, Tyree Jackson, who reminds me a lot of, of a Josh Allen. He's a big-armed kid who who just really hasn't played upper-level competition, but he's got all the tools if you can mold him properly. So to me, it's this draft for them would be offensive heavy. Um, but I don't know. I'd love to hear your take, Dennis. Well, I, I think that uh, wide receiver is their need. And at 32, they have the opportunity to look at they have a bunch of smaller wide receivers, so I agree. They're going to be able to look at guys like Harmon and uh, Arcega Whiteside and get somebody, somebody in there that's bigger that can do uh, the things that they need, that, that complements the, the skill set for people that they have. So I, I would love to see uh, Arcega Whiteside go there. I don't think they're going to draft him in the first round, but if they're sitting there at the end of the, the first at uh, I could see them dropping back into the second and picking up some more picks so that they can spend day two and day three moving up to get the guys they want. That's sort of what he, what Belichick has done. But if they stay at 32, I could see them addressing offensive line or 
defensive line. You know, Jerry Tillery uh, out of Notre Dame is sitting there at 32. He could slide right into that defensive tackle replacing Malcolm Brown. Um, you know, Draymond Jones is there. He's a little bit undersized compared to, uh, I think, what they usually do. But he has the versatility that the, the Patriots look for. He can play, I think, three technique and five technique. So he can move in and out a little bit. He's got some of that uh, to his game. I, I don't know that they're going to go for one of the top edge rushers, but Brian Burns out of Florida State is somebody that might be there. Jachai, Jachai, Polite. Uh, I, I never have gotten nailed down exactly how to pronounce that. It's Jachai Polite. Um, he could be there. But then they, they like to bring in players that fit their system. Somebody like Dalton Risner, if he, he's still on the board, that's somebody they might go for. You know the the second day and third day, the or the second round and third round, is where the Patriots do a lot of the moving around to get the players that really fit their system. So there's there's lots of I mean it's a deep draft, maybe not necessarily top heavy, other than a couple three people, but it it is a deep draft, and so there's lots of talent to bring in to fit uh, whatever needs that they may have or the other teams might have. Yeah, I'll be very interested to see what they do if they really go offensive heavy like you guys are talking about because that is kind of against their modus operatum. They do not do that at all. I would not be surprised if they go defensive heavy. However, Steve, I feel like you have been listening to the podcast. You just talked about two of my favorite guys in this draft in Arcega Whiteside and Tyree Jackson. Dennis knows I have an an unfounded love for Tyree Jackson that is just causing many Twitter beefs for me because I'm in love with this guy. Uh, And I think that'd be a great move on their part if they'd get him because he's someone who just needs to be developed. I think much like Josh Allen, as you touched about, he has a lot of the intangibles and he is just a – just a physical specimen and a great athlete. And if they can get him to just be a little bit more accurate, I think he would be an amazing fit up there in New England. And again, he would have at least more than likely two years to sit behind Tom Brady, which might be long enough for him to develop. So I think that's a great call by you on him. Uh, I've also seen a lot of people talking about Daniel Jones possibly going there. I think Jones could be a good fit as well, uh, just based on the same thing. I don't think Jones is quite as ready as everybody else does, but I think he's a good QB prospect. I'd be interested to see if they grab him. But I do think this is the year that they finally get that QB prospect. They obviously had Jimmy Garoppolo and everything that happened behind that whole mess and him leaving, going to San Francisco. I think this is finally the year they grab somebody to eventually replace Tom Brady in the next couple years. But I would be very interested. I agree with what you said, Steve. I think they are going to be the most interesting players in this draft because – they have so many picks, and, and I don't even want to say they have so many needs, as I do think wide receiver is kind of their biggest need, but they always go so heavy defensively almost every single year that I'd be interested to see how many of the 12 picks they make and how often they trade back just to continue to get more picks because, as you touched on, Dennis, that is what they love to do. Um, and that's they are one of the most exciting – not exciting, but they're one of the most interesting teams for me uh, that I cannot wait to watch on draft night to see what they do because they also always seem to get it right. So I, we can't even fault them for anything on that side because they always seem to draft the right people. Um, at this point, Steve, what we do is we talk about our dynasty risers and fallers on – 
the on the, the roster that we're talking about. So we have a lot of listeners that play in dynasty leagues. That is kind of what we focus on throughout this offseason, obviously, is redraft really doesn't yeah. matter that much. So what we usually ask of our guests here at this point, is there anybody on your team that you think is going to take a rise up? And it can be, you know, obviously Tom, Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, Gronk really don't fall in, in the riser category because we all know what they are. But anybody else outside of those three that you think can really kind of take a step up from what they did last year um, and, and kind of prove to the world that they're they're an elite player in the fantasy world? I mean, to me, Sony Michelle, I think, is the obvious one. He's probably probably already drafted in a lot of, of dynasty leagues. I would say that anyone New England drafts high at a skill position would be definitely someone. But again, that's a kind of an obvious choice. Two names that stick out to me um, as possible guys who could show up. It, it's kind of a reach, but one is Braxton Berrios. Um, could he be the heir apparent to to a Julian Edelman, and will he start taking those reps in 2019 if he is? And the other is is the tight end Jacob Hollister. Could they possibly, with Dwayne Allen leaving, start using Hollister as sort of a like a move tight end, like they used Aaron Hernandez, and and play him off Rob, Rob Gronkowski in 12 personnel? Um, so those are two guys I would I would keep my eye on. Those were the guys that I kind of had had pegged as well. Barrios, I don't I think Edelman is going to be there for another year or two. So Barrios is going to show some flashes. He's a he's one of those great dynasty uh, players. You want to get him if you depending on how long you can keep him on your taxi squad. Uh, I don't know that we're going to expect a ton from him this year. He he could pop, and if he shows he's one of the best two or three receivers on the team, then the Patriots are going to play him. But he he has that profile to slide in there uh right at you know let edelman go out and he'll slide right in and you won't really know it an interesting signing they made that that might be the guy to own is maurice harris i think you can draft him get him cheap in drafts um and he's a little bit bigger guy at six one not real fast he's a four five nine four six guy but last year in washington he showed the ability to get open and that overall is sort of what the Patriots look for. They're, they won't say, well, hey, you, you show me you can get open at eight yards, but I need you to get open at 15 yards. Well, they just say, hey, you can get open at eight yards all the time, so we're just going to keep throwing you eight-yard passes. You know, If we need 20, you won't get the ball, but if we need eight, you're going to get the ball almost every time. So... If Harris, uh, he, I think he ended the year uh, on IR, if he can stay healthy, if he uh, can make that push, he can be that little bit bigger receiver that they don't have uh, unless they bring somebody in in the draft. So he's somebody. And I, I like the uh, Hollister take. He's somebody that's been in the system now for a couple years. And uh, physically, he profiles almost exactly the same as Hernandez at 6'2", 245. So... That, that could be a real nice compliment. Yeah, for me, I've got to actually. So my first two, Sony Michelle, as you guys already touched on, I do think he is in for a, a big year this year. I do think they're going to lead heavily on the run game. Uh, and that's why I think James White might actually take another step up this year. Uh, did really good at the beginning of last year, then just kind of faded away with Sony Michelle coming back. Uh, but I do think they're going to start leaning on him a little bit more, at least with the way that the offense looks right now. He looks like, I, in my opinion, could be another key player for them and them use him more in the receiving game like they have in the past. 
Uh, and then my last guy is someone I've just touched on a little bit ago is Josh Gordon. Just watch him, guys. Uh, again, he looked amazing with this offense last year. He's actually their leading receiver through everything that happened last year. And then obviously at the end of the season when he was not able to continue playing with them due to the uh, failed drug test and everything. But he was still their leading receiver last year. A lot of people forget that how good he was because it wasn't every single week. But he he put up you know 50, 60 yards here and there every almost every week. Uh, didn't score a touchdown every week, obviously. But I think given another year in the system, he could have a huge year. And again, his value in dynasty leagues right now is so low because no one thinks you can come back i just traded for him uh in a dynasty league for a fourth round pick and i would rather take a shot on josh gordon with a fourth round pick than someone you're likely going to get in a rookie draft in the fourth round because chances are it's not going to be anyone that really turns into anything because if josh gordon comes back next year you're, you're likely going to start him in most of your leagues so he's someone if you can buy low on him now i would because if obviously he does get reinstated by june or july his, his value is going to go right back up again do you guys have any dynasty fallers on this roster? I just think it's I think I just think it's the usual. I mean, you you look towards the age. I mean, Tom Brady is still an effective quarterback in terms of the NFL, but is he still an effective quarterback in terms of fantasy? You have guys like Josh Allen who are running for 100 yards a game, you know. Um, other quarterbacks bring that ground element to the game like Lamar Jackson to really help, you know, beef up their numbers. Um, you know, guys like Patrick Mahomes are are chucking, you know, f- three, four, five touchdowns a game. You, you're just not seeing that really with Tom Brady in New England. Um, you know, and the same goes with Rob Gronkowski. He's just not that elite tight end anymore. Is he still a very effective run blocker and a guy who gets open and, and is a great tight end? Yeah, but he's great in terms of being on an NFL roster and winning Super Bowls, but not so much as, you know, adding too much value to your fantasy league and in terms of a dynasty league with their age and Edelman as well long-term value which is what you really look for yeah I have Brady on one of my dynasty teams it's it's a 32 team league and I I don't have any idea what to do with him because I, I he doesn't have a ton of trade value you know he's a QB2 uh, with the occasional QB1 week so you know it's hard it's kind of hard to move him you know, Gronkowski's just injuries have taken their toll on him and he's not the athlete that he once was. And I think that's why we hear the talk about retirement with him. It was kind of interesting to look. I was simultaneous conversations about Kelsey being at the peak of his game and Gronk talking about retirement, having been, you know, what tight ends were measured against. And I, I happened to note that Kelsey and Gronk are like the same age and it's just it's just one of those crazy things that uh, Kelsey I felt like kind of played similarly to Gronk you know he's a good blocker but for whatever reason he, he hasn't had the injury history that Gronk has had and it's really started to show in Gronk he flashes every now and again now so I can see them continue to uh drop down you know michelle is one of those guys where uh, you have to you know are you taking the gamble that he's gonna a get the usage and and b stay healthy you know he has that arthritic knee issue going on like uh, i think ajay has it and now Gurley has it and it's one of those things that's you know how long what is his actual shelf life I think he'll be fine for the next year or two. If something happens, if if he gets dinged up, uh, Belichick is going to 
play other people. And he's got White and he's got Burkhead, who, while not necessarily the level of talent that Michelle is when it comes to running the ball, are very serviceable backs, and he can make it work. I mean, he was making it work with Devlin, who is probably the least athletic running back on the team. So uh, it Michelle is going to have to stay healthy. I like him to, to have a better year than last year, but it's going to be definitely all health-related for him. Yeah, and I'm right there with both of you guys. Obviously, Tom Brady and Gronk are uh, technically, I guess, kind of the easy ones because, Brady, you know, with the age, he probably only has a couple more years left. So if you have him in a dynasty league, you're likely trying to move him either this year. Uh, chances are nobody's really going to be buying him next year. As as Steve touched on, he has kind of dropped into that middle-tier QB2 uh, weeks with, as Dennis said, sometimes upside QB1 weeks. But those seem to be coming rarer and rarer as of late the past couple of years. Gronk, um, as you were touching on, Dennis, I think... The difference between him and Kelsey is Gronk just plays more physical, and Gronk has taken a lot more of those just vicious hits where I feel like Kelsey does a good job of, and maybe it's just more Patrick Mahomes, putting the ball where he can catch it in in a decent spot and then do something with it, where Gronk, he's always going up and trying to make these acrobatic catches. He keeps getting taking these huge hits every week that I watch him play. And then obviously he's had those back injuries, which are just crucial. Anybody who's had any kind of back injury in their life knows that those things are just you can you're never a hundred percent again after something like that. You know you slowly lose a little bit here and there, and then taking those massive hits every single week on your back or on your knees because everybody's trying to take the tight ends now out low because they can't hit them high and to bring them down. So I think that is what's taking its toll on Gronkowski. I would imagine this is it. You know a lot of people talked about last year being his final year. I think this will finally be it for Gronk. This is his last year. So if you can move him, chances are you're not going to get anything you would have last year for him because a lot of people still viewed him as a top uh, tier one uh, tight end but I think you could still move him for something decent this year I would do it I mean those are really my only two I think Julian Edelman and Sony Michelle both have a couple years left before they start to fall off Edelman due to age and Michelle due to the knee injury that you touched on Dennis is one of my biggest concerns about him coming out of the draft actually when that when that got reported that he has that kind of bone on bone knee issue that Jay Ajayi had we've seen Jay Ajayi had like three two to three great years and then just kind of fell off the face of the earth and I think that's the same thing with Michelle I'd give him at least another two years maybe three and then he's gone uh, so maybe he's someone that you guys look to trade early in the next couple years uh, once his his value starts to skyrocket hey what's going on everybody this is 8-bit Ray from the Gorilla Brain podcast part of the Pulse podcast network did you know that you could be using this spot to advertise your company or business Well, I've done the research, and PodcastInsights.com report that podcast listeners are loyal, affluent, and mostly college-educated, but most importantly, are five times more likely to interact with the ad they hear on their favorite podcast than an ad from any other medium. If you would like to advertise your company or brand with our network, it's simple. All you have to do is send an email to marketing at PulsePodcastNetwork.com. I'll say it one more time marketing at pulsepodcastnetwork.com and we hope to hear from you soon moving on to the miami dolphins they finished second in the division last year seven and nine obviously have made a lot of moves to completely kind of overhaul their roster and seem to be tanking for the 2020 qb draft which i think is going to be very good i'm personally um bigger on and his name just escaped me in the georgia quarterback and i can't remember what his name is but uh Jake Fromm. Yeah, there we go. Fromm. I was. I wanted to say Justin Fields because I'm thinking all Ohio State here at the moment. 
moment. But uh, no, Fromm I think is going to be better than Tua, but obviously a lot of people are very big on Tua for very good reasons with the way he's looked the past year and, and in the championship game two years ago bringing Alabama back. Uh, they obviously got rid of most of their coaching staff and brought in Brian Flores, who, as many have seen, Bill Belichick's disciples have really kind of struggled to do anything outside of New England. So, really quick, your guys' thoughts on Brian Flores coming in. Do you think he'll be able to kind of turn this team around? Uh, I don't I haven't really seen if he's going the Bill Belichick route. I know he seems to be one of those one of those types, very kind of quiet, just kind of does his thing. Do you guys think that he's going to be a good coach for, for Miami from what you've seen so far? And then obviously your guys' thoughts on, uh, I really just want to know who you guys like more, Jake Fromm or Tua, uh, if they end up getting one of those top two picks in the draft in 2020. I mean, to me, the Miami Dolphins, as currently constructed, um, you know, taking away all the red tape, letting your GM be a GM, bringing in um, you know a coach like Brian Flores who – on all counts, seems like he's good with the media. He brings some stability. They're doing exactly what the Buffalo Bills did two years ago. They brought in the Buffalo Bills two years ago, brought in Sean McDermott. Then they eventually brought in Brandon Bean. They took a lot of the drama that Rex Ryan and Doug Marone brought out of their franchise. And then they completely tore it down. And they thought they were going to take two, three years to rebuild. They ended up just, you know, by fluke making the playoffs. But this, the Miami Dolphins, as currently built, like that's that's what they're doing. Like they're gonna have 30, 40 undrafted free agents coming into training camp because they only have sixty guys on their roster right now as currently constructed, and not a lot of draft picks. So it's gonna be really unprecedented. Like this roster is gonna be super thin, and it's gonna be super thin for a year or two um, until they start accumulating draft picks. Uh, but I really like what they're doing. Flores brought in Jim Caldwell to sort of be like an adult in the room, show him. You know, the ropes of being a head coach showed Chad O'Shea the, the ropes of being um, an offensive coordinator. So I think bringing in Jim Caldwell is really going to help Brian Flores, too. Yeah, I, I'm on board with what they're doing. You, you have to get over that mentality of, I can patch the holes and it's going to be okay. And I think Stephen Ross has said, I'm going to bring somebody in. I I feel like Flores, while coming, he, he spent, I think, 13 or 14 years with the Patriots and worked his way up through the organization from non-coaching roles to defensive coordinator. And I feel like that's given him an opportunity to develop a program in his head and a methodology to go about things, learning at all levels of the organization. And I think that's what he sold Miami was Look, here's, here's what I've watched happen and been a part of, and these are the things I like about it and how it will work, and these are the things that I bring to it myself. And if you're invested, I, I know Gruden gets uh, bashed a lot for some of the moves he's made, but he has the one thing that coach, most coaches don't in that he's got the security that I can tear this thing all the way down to the studs and rebuild it if I if I feel that's what I need to do. I'm I've got the security to do that. And while Flores didn't get a ten year contract, I feel like Flores laid out a plan and said, here's what we have to do to rebuild and it's gonna it's gonna be ugly for a couple years. And you're gonna need to be okay with that if if you want to get back to where the Dolphins were in the seventies. Being in that position, he's gonna 
start to build and, you know, I agree with you on Caldwell. Having that veteran head coaching presence is going to give him additional credibility in the rooms, uh, somebody to bounce ideas off. I think O'Shea comes with him with the same sort of mentality, having uh, been up in New England and and been able to see those things. I think he brought a couple other people down from uh, New England with him as well. So it'll be an interesting process to watch. I've enjoyed the talk going around Twitter that uh, if they were really interested in tanking, they wouldn't have brought in Ryan Fitzpatrick because he's going to win more games than you really need to if you're tanking. But they do have some talent. They just, they do have, like, I'm a big Kenyon Drake fan. And I want to see him do well. I don't know what's going to happen this year because they're going to be behind. So we'll get to see if Drake is uh, really their pass catching back, if they think he can be a third down guy. The way that the way the coaching staff is constructed, uh, it's going to be a, a really cool thing to watch to see. Does this first time coach really get the long leash and the patience to execute this? huge huge uh rebuild well on the rebuild i think he will and i can't remember who reported it but uh, i read a story it was probably man i would say three or four weeks after he got hired in miami that he was reassured by mr ross and i can't remember who their gm is at the moment but their general manager that he's gonna have time they know that this is possibly a two to three year rebuild so that brian Flores has just got to Work his way, as you put, as he worked his way up through the Patriots, just just work with what he's given for the next couple of years as they try and rebuild this entire roster, and I agree. I think that's the way to go. They have tried too many years to just compete with the Patriots and try and plug in these veterans here and there, spending way too much money on free agents to come in, and they think fix these holes, and then it's just never worked out for them. They, they need to get back, rip it all the way down to the studs like Oakland has, and, and, and rebuild. And as you touched on with Gruden, I agree. I mean, he, he's given that long-term um, ability. I think that Brian Flore has, Flores will get that as well. Like I said, they reported they're going to give him a couple years. Now, will that actually happen? We'll see. I feel like Stephen Ross has, has not necessarily done that in the past like he said he would. So it'll be interesting to see if they actually give him that time. But there was reports out there saying that he was going to get him. Um, and I agree with you guys on all the coaching changes. I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see what those guys are able to do with the team that they have there because – you are trying to lose games, and I feel like some of the coaches they brought in are going to want to win games. Um, and then obviously the Fitz Magic piece, which we'll touch on here in just a minute as well, bringing him in. Uh, they bring in him. Uh, they bring back Devontae Parker on a two-year deal, which is interesting to me. They bring in Dwayne Allen on a two-year deal, and then Eric Rowe on a one-year kind of one-year prove-it deal. They lost Ryan Tannehill in the trade. Uh, to the Titans, Juwan James goes to Denver, Cameron Wake to Tennessee, and then Danny Amendola to Detroit. Uh, for me, fantasy-wise, the two biggest ones are obviously Fitzmagic and Devontae Parker. Uh, I'll kind of touch on both of those first. For me, Fitzpatrick, I think he's going to be a, a viable QB2 uh, with this offense. They still have some good pieces. Uh, obviously, Kenyon Drake in the backfield, who I am also a big fan of. They've got Devontae Parker now on the outside. I am a fan of Mike Gusecki. I think that he is going to be a good tight end. He's someone I think could take a, a jump forward this year. So having him... Uh, on there as well, I think could help out Ryan Fitzmagic. Um, goodness, I forgot what their the the uh, the running back is they had they drafted last year, but 
Um, Kalen Balaj. Kalen Balaj. I'm not a big fan of his, so I don't really see him doing much for them. But Albert Wilson, Kenny Stills right there as well. Kenny Stills is a guy who's really kind of looked explosive with other quarterbacks not named Ryan Tannehill, so I'm interested to see what he can do as well. But I like I like some of the core pieces they have around Fitzmagic. We've seen him be able to do it on bad teams. Uh, I think he'll still be a viable quarterback for fantasy. Obviously, he's going to have his bad weeks where he throws five touchdowns, or I'm sorry, five interceptions in one touchdown, but he's going to give you those good weeks as well. And Devontae Parker, if you have him, I think with this move here, the fact that Brian Flores and they and this whole team wanted to bring him back, I think Parker's a hold. A lot of people probably were thinking about cutting him or getting rid of him after what he's shown so far. A lot of people were very intrigued at him when he came out in the draft. Uh, one of the better prospects of that year, obviously almost an entire class has not proven anything except outside of Tyler Boyd. Um, but I think he's a hold now. The fact they brought him back on a two-year deal actually has what seems to be a stable kind of organization moving forward. Now, Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback, who I think will be able to get him the ball. I hate to say it, but I kind of feel like this might be the year we see Devontae Bar- Parker kind of show us what we all thought he could be coming out of the draft. So if you've got him, hold him. Give him one more shot, and if he doesn't do it this year, get rid of him. All right. Now, uh, if you got him, don't hold him. Trade him to me for cheap. Well, that too. I mean, but now that we say that, nobody will trade him to us for cheap. So, uh, right. but your guys, your guys' thoughts on Fitz, uh, Fitzpatrick? I keep calling Fitz Magic, Fitzpatrick, or <laughs> Devonte Parker, or if there's anybody else you guys want to touch on that they brought in. I know Ryan Fitzpatrick for a good three or four years. Ryan Fitzpatrick was, and Fred Jackson were my, and Stevie Johnson for that matter were, were my three favorite players. And and what what makes Ryan Fitzpatrick a perfect fit for what Miami wants to do is is twofold because it's off the field and it's on the field off the field. The fan base is going to absolutely love him. The, the you're going to be able to sell tickets and merchandise with Ryan Fitzpatrick, even when you're losing. And even though you're losing, you're still going to lose in a very exciting fashion because what Ryan Fitzpatrick brings to this team is he brings, he is just an absolute locker room glue guy. Like players are just willing to run through a wall for this guy, even though he might not have the physical tools intellectually Ryan Fitzpatrick is one of the obviously the the joke the running joke is like have you heard Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard he he knows the game and the reason why they I think they brought Devontae Parker back is is he has potential and normally a player like that who doesn't meet that potential goes to a new team and tries to meet it elsewhere because they just need a change of scenery well he's going to get a change of scenery on the same team because he's going to get a quarterback not like Ryan Tannehill but a quarterback who's willing to throw the ball all over the field, throw receivers open, throw two receivers who might not be open, and he's going to get a new head coach and a new offensive system. So Ryan Fitzpatrick, probably not going to win you a lot of games, but he's going to bring that experience, veteran leadership. He's going to sell tickets, and he's going to make guys like Mike Jazicki, Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, uh, Albert Wilson. He's going to make them weekly plays based on matchups. In terms of dynasty, I probably Devontae Parker and Albert Wilson would be your your long term plays. And Kenyon Drake, to me, it'd be interesting to see if if working with in a, in a system coming from New England where they like to use their their backs as receivers and playing with a, a quarterback like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who who played with one of my all time favorite players, Fred Jackson. It would be interesting to see if they could turn Kenyon Drake into a a James White, Fred Jackson type of player because I think he has more potential as a runner than. And, and, and as just a receiver, Kenyon Drake could be, you know, a five-tool player if used properly. And Mike Jazicki as well. I mean, if you start using him the way they use Gronkowski, he could pop 
and be a huge fantasy player as well. Yeah, I, I'm a big Kenyon Drake fan, and if Miami can uh, use him on all three downs, that would be fantastic. You know, he caught 29 passes his senior year. He, he's a good he's a good pass catcher, and he's shown in the NFL that he can. Uh, that he can run the ball at an NFL level. I'm pretty excited to watch that that happen. I, I like the Parker. I think fits into the team in a, a manner that's you know Wilson is a, a isn't a terribly big guy. Stills isn't a terribly big guy. I think uh, Parker gives him that intermediate contested ball guy. And, and Fitzpatrick, if he's shown anything, is that he's not afraid to throw the contested ball even if it keeps getting picked off. It, it's a team that, it, I, I got to be honest, if they were to come out of nowhere and win nine games, it wouldn't surprise me a, a bit. Their offensive line is going to need some work, so I could see them invest in some capital, draft capital in the offensive line, but I think, what do they have, $28 million in cap space? Yeah. Um, their defense isn't going to be particularly productive, I don't think. I, I think that uh, game script is going to definitely favor uh, – the passing game. I I, I want to see what happens with uh, with with that uh, offensive line from the standpoint of if something does happen to Fitzpatrick, how comfortable are you with Luke Falk? He was one of my sleepers, uh, uh, somebody that I felt was definitely worth stashing on your taxi squad. Uh, he was very productive in college, and I think. Uh, given a couple years to heal up. He did take some beatings. At, I think he was at Washington State. Uh, given a couple years to heal up and get in an NFL system, uh, Falk could I, – I, I was kind of looking forward to Falk maybe getting an opportunity if the uh, Dolphins were going complete deep tank, but bringing in Fitzpatrick, uh, you know, I don't think they're, they're selling completely out, but – yeah, I'm going to be interested to see what Brian Flores can do with that defense. So, um, one of the things I think a lot of people talk about with New England is they don't really have uh, any studs. They have a lot of guys that are very good and then and some mediocre guys, and they always seem to get them to play above their head. As you touched on, Dennis, when we used to, we did all of our Super Bowl talk all the way back in February, Brian Flores was really the one calling and doing all the defense. It wasn't... Um, Bill Belichick like a lot of people thought so the fact that Brian Flores was able to do what he did with that uh, Patriots defense with not a lot of really big names on it I'd be interested to see if he can do the same thing here in Miami um, especially if they're able to draft a couple guys here as we'll, we'll touch on the draft I mean maybe get some guys that are highly rated, obviously, with some of the picks that they have, although a lot of people think they'll go quarterback um, and possibly get coach this defense up a little bit, and I agree with you. I would not be surprised if they're a team that ends up winning nine games here in the next year or two um, just based on what Ryan Fitzpatrick can bring and if Brian Flores can get this defense going. Um, they have uh, they pick at 13 this year, and they have seven picks. They have two uh, two seventh-round picks. They have uh, one from Pittsburgh as well as their own. Their biggest needs quarterback, as you just touched on, offensive tackle, and then edge rusher. So, at 13, the big thing, obviously I want your guys' full kind of draft strategy as well, but do you think that they're going to take a quarterback at 13 with them being really kind of the third team that needs a quarterback now, and the three big names being Murray, Haskins, and Locke, do you think they get one of those guys at 13, or do you think they go another direction? I see them taking a middle-round quarterback. To, to compete with Luke Falk for, for backup reps and possibly get a chance to play towards the end of the year if, if you know they don't play too well. But if, if I'm the if I'm the Dolphins, my eyes are on are on 2020 draft. It's on Tua, it's on Fromm, it's on 
Justin Herbert, possibly 2021, and and uh, Trevor Lawrence. So to me, if on the Miami Dolphins, I have the most boring draft imaginable. I'm taking offensive tackles. I'm taking offensive guards. I'm taking defensive ends. I'm taking defensive tackles, um, possibly some linebackers. Like I'm just loading up on my my front sevens uh, and on my offensive line, and I'm building that because they usually take a couple of years to develop. And you know, once your lines can develop, then then you can have then you can go out and you can get your quarterback and maybe re-flush your, your skill positions and stuff. But if I'm the Miami Dolphins, I'm staying in pat. I'm not taking a quarterback, and I'm just solidifying my lines. Yeah, if, if Miami sits at 13, I, I could see them grabbing somebody like Cody Ford from Oklahoma, uh, maybe Andre Dillard from Washington State. The, the model now is build the, build the team from the inside out and then get your quarterback and make that run while that quarterback is on that five-year rookie contract. Mm-hmm. So Miami, I, you know, Cleveland Farrell or Christian Wilkins from Clemson would both be great options for them. You know, build from the inside out, offensive line, defensive line, and then then get your quarterback once that's solid and you've got your skill players. I think the skill players, there's two or three in free agency, I think, that make moves each year that are really impactful. But the rest of them make moves and, and just don't seem to click quite as well. So don't go chasing that. Maybe if, if you can identify some day two skill skill position talent, grab one. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't go for quarterback. I don't think that fits the model uh, for today's NFL is to grab one when your team is in the situation Miami is in. You you need to work more in the interior and then get that quarterback because the quarterback just, if you buy a quarterback now and then you build your offensive line the next two years and then it takes two years to gel, now all of a sudden you're having to pay your quarterback 25 or $30 million if he's any good. So I would hope for Miami's sake that they pass on the quarterback at 13. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Flores is going to, and Chris Greer will try the, hey, let's trade back like they do in uh, uh, New England. But it was, it's kind of funny. Uh, we just did a startup draft, a uh, 16-team startup draft, and it seemed like the most common comment in the chat was, hey, I'm looking to trade down. Hey, I'm looking to trade down. And, and it's like, it's hard to make trades down when everybody is looking to trade down. Yeah, I think um, with the trading down part, I think for them it might not be that hard this year just based on so many teams needing defensive help and this te- this draft being really loaded on defense uh, where it really kind of hasn't been the past couple of years. You've seen a couple studded defensive players kind of at the top and the middle, but this year being so loaded, I think they might be able to find some trade down partners. Um It'll be really interesting to see if they do what you two are saying and not take a quarterback at 13. I think every mock I've looked at has them taking somebody. Um, and it's just it would be hard for me to imagine if Dwayne Haskins or Drew Locke fell to 13 that they don't take him. I don't disagree with what you guys are saying. It's probably the smart move. I believe there's all there's all those rumors that have come out that they're trying to tank for Tua in 2020. Again, I, I would take Fromm. And, and all, I forgot all about Herbert, so good calling on, on you there, Steve, because I, I loved Herbert. I thought he would easily be the 1-1 pick this year. All the hype Murray's getting this year, if Herbert would have come out, there wouldn't be that much talk about Murray with Herbert being out there because I think he's an absolute stud as well. I would take both of those guys over Tua. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they really do that. I, I think that would be a solid plan on their part is to just kind of attack this draft, get some more defensive players that fit Brian Flores and the system that he wants, and then get yourself some key offensive players this year as well. Get yourself, you know, offensive tackle, though not deep with studs. They've got very good depth of uh, guys that are going to be, I think, good at the NFL level, not elite players, but in that middle tier, which you can make very serviceable offensive lines with. Maybe attack a couple of those guys in the later rounds. Get yourself, again, a very heavy wide receiver class as well. Maybe get you a future stud there in the third or fourth round. You know, someone we've already talked about multiple times here in the episode, uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. I imagine he's not going until possibly the third round with the depth of this wide receiver class. That might be someone you can get to kind of pair with a young quarterback next year if you do end up waiting to draft him. But, that, you know, the more and more we talk about this uh, this division, the more interested I'm see, going to be to see how this draft plays out because the Miami Dolphins are the same thing. If they pass on quarterback – at 13, it's going to be very interesting to see where some of those, these guys start to fall then uh, because a lot of people, like I said, have mocked a quarterback, most of them I believe it being Drew Locke, to the Miami Dolphins just based on their need there. And if they end up passing on him and just go on the route of taking a, a guy later in the draft just to kind of come in and compete for a backup spot will be a very interesting move, at least in my opinion. All right, so who is your guy's dynasty riser on this roster? To me... It could be any one of a number of names because, like, they have a lot of talented skill position players, whether it be Drake, Parker, um, Jaziki, Wilson, Stills, um, and they're all fairly young. Um, Kalen Balaj, too. I, I mean, I watch some ASU games. Kalen Balaj does a lot of things that, um, you know, coming from a New England system, Chad O'Shea calling plays now, they like to do with their, their receivers, you know, catch them out of the backfield. So Kalen Balaj could even have some value, I think. Um, to me, the theme with the Miami Dolphins is not so much that there are fantasy risers. To me, it's that you shouldn't overreact to a, to what looks like a tank and start selling because I think Ryan Fitzpatrick will keep, will, will has upside to get some of these guys, the ball more than Ryan Tannehill did and, and really inject some statistics, some fantasy statistics, maybe not wins into the roster. So guys like Drake Parker, Jaziki, Wilson, Stills, Balage. I wouldn't be afraid to go out and get them if the value's there, and I also wouldn't be wanting to sell them off for cheap um, or trying to get rid of them off my roster now that a quarterback like Ryan Fitzpatrick is in there. Yeah, I I agree. I I think you know if you think back to just about what was it three years ago that Blake Bortles in Jacksonville was just racking up fantasy stats. I think it's going to be that kind of year for Miami. Uh, I, I'd kind of be in the when it comes to the Miami skill players. I think uh, you, you want to be a buyer, uh, and I, I don't know. I might even overpay a little bit for Drake or uh, Parker, or maybe even Kenny Stills. Uh, you know, pay, paying up a little bit on those guys. Uh, it, if you're getting guys that are going to be playing from behind a lot, and and Drake is the three down back there. You know, you, you're looking at great production. He finished as the as, as much as we want to lament how bad Drake's year was last year. He finished as the RB fourteen. Uh, so I can I could see him in this offense uh, comfortably hopping up into the top ten, provided he he gets the opportunity. Uh, you know, for whatever reason. Oh, I forget who the hell the last coach was. Uh, didn't uh, New York Jets? Whatever the hell it. Adam Gase just didn't want to. Didn't seem to want to give Gase the. Uh, give drake the ball so if flores 
feeds Drake the ball, and uh, you know, he could be a, a really, really top-end uh, running back this year. I, I've got him on a couple teams, and uh, I've gotten some uh, interesting offers for him, to say the least. But Parker, I think, is the real sleeper here when it comes to uh, fantasy production. If he if he can maintain that starting role on the outside, uh, he's going to get some targets from Fitzpatrick, and, and he's he can have a, a really, really nice year. I think his best year he had... See, in 17, Parker had 96 targets and caught 57 passes. So I can see him surpassing 100 targets this year. And if he can uh, improve his catch rate a little bit, you know, he could he could top 80, 80 receptions this year and finally have that breakout year. I'd like to – I'm going to probably try and grab Parker in some places – but I, I tend to, you know, Matt and I both tend to play with some sharks, and so <laughs> you, it's almost frustrating sometimes to try to get a deal done because everybody is uh, kind of all on the same information, and uh, you can't you can't really, uh, you, you know, buy anybody on the cheap. Yeah, for me, um, it's going to be the three key guys, I think, for this offense, and that's going to be uh, Gasecki, as I talked about earlier, Devontae Parker, who we've all talked about now, and Kenyon Drake as well. Um, I've Obviously, Dennis, you know, been a huge fan of Kenyon Drake as well. Um, I think he's been underutilized there in the Adam Gase era, and uh, really excited to see if they'll finally unleash him and, and allow him to be the player we saw him be um, back when Jay Ajayi got hurt a couple years ago before they ended up moving him to, to Philadelphia the year after. Um, And my dynasty follower on this list um, is also, unfortunately, Kenyon Drake. If the caveat being, if they end up do going to Kalen Balazs, I know that Brian Flores wasn't there when they drafted him, but this regime still drafted him minus Brian Flores, so they might see him as the future guy. So if they end up leaning on him, then Kenyon Drake is going to fall down a little bit, probably to the wayside, maybe even be just a receiving back. But if he is the guy, then I don't think there's really anybody on this roster that's going to fall because I don't see anybody really kind of going back any more than what they were. We've kind of seen what these guys were last year. I, I can't see any of these guys regressing any any further down than what we saw last year. Uh, do you guys have any dynasty followers? No, I, I think that uh, the off- offense in general is going to produce fantasy points because they're going to be playing from behind. So the expectation across the board is going to be that you know to buy them the downside if if you're playing in a league that heavily penalizes interceptions then you may want to temper your expectations on Fitzpatrick because he's going to have that stretch where he throws you know eight interceptions in three games hopefully it's not during the playoffs so the fantasy playoffs that is in general, I think everybody is going to get a, at least a one tick up in this offense. It's really hard to fall have you know fallers when really there there aren't too many players that really have you know very high value. So to me, I mean, all of these guys seem like you know low risk moves you can make if if they're available. I mean, there's there's not a Tom Brady or a you know Rob Gronkowski or a guy that you know you feel like is going to fall off a cliff. Um, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick is the elder statesman there. And I think when you acquire a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know what you're getting. You're getting a guy who he's a one-year buy or he's a, you know, year-to-year thing. Like, it's not something that you're looking to long-term. So there's a lot of long-term prospects with high upside. But there really, to me, isn't isn't a player that, that gets hurt. Because even guys like Kenny Stills, like Ryan Fitzpatrick, he chucks a pretty decent deep ball for a guy with, with not a good arm. Like Deshaun Jackson 
was eaten last year in Tampa Bay, and Kenny Stills could do the same. So there really aren't too many guys, if you look on that roster, that look like they're not going to put up statistically fantasy-wise. Yeah, let's play a quick little game. So Kenny Stills last year, wide receiver 54. Higher or lower this year? 54 catches? No, wide uh, receiver 54. 54 fantasy. Oh, oh is, okay. Uh, is what he ranked. Uh, I'm going to say lower, as in uh, further from 54. I don't, I don't. I feel like that is higher, lower. Like higher as in he's going to be behind 54 or lower is Correct. behind will, will he finish above wide receiver 54 or below wide receiver 54? Okay, I say below. I think he's going to finish probably somewhere after 54. Okay. I'd, Steve? I'd, say, I'd say above. Okay. I think he's going to catch a lot of D targets from Ryan Fitzpatrick like Deshaun Jackson did last year. Yep, I, I agree. Albert Wilson, wide receiver, 72, above or below? I'd say right around the same area, below then, I guess. I would say above because I think he could eat in the slot like Adam Humphreys did. Let's see if I can find Parker. Uh, Devontae Parker, wide receiver, 100, above or below? Him, I'll go above. I'm going to go below. I think that he'll have a he'll have a role on this team and he'll he'll progress, but I don't think I think that there are other receivers like Wilson and Drake out of the backfield and Stills that are going to 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 produce more. But it, again, it all depends on who Ryan Fitzpatrick gels with. Uh, Jakeem Grant, wide receiver, one hundred one, above or below? Below. Yeah, I'm gonna be below as well. I think that Albert Wilson's gonna come back healthy and. Jakeem Grant's not going to get as many snaps on offense. Yeah, I, I think that uh, there, Grant is going to be the one that loses out, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But the rest of them are all going to uh, outpace what they did last year. I, I especially Parker. I think I, it wouldn't surprise me if Parker is the fantasy one on this team. But you know, that's just me. All right, guys, this concludes part one of the AFC East episodes. We will have another one here with Steve and Dennis uh, talking about the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wrong line ready. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly! Only tackle in the corner.